before I start, get started, I want to take an informal vote, or actually a formal vote. Raise of hands. Who wants the offering to come back the way it used to be? Keep them up. I can't see very well. That's the overwhelming majority. So, as John says, we always take the majority and do the opposite, right? <laughs> That's right. So next week, then, we will start back with the old-fashioned offering with passing the plate. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 21. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the earth. But I ask, did not Israel understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we pray for understanding this morning as we go about looking at these words that Paul penned so long ago. We ask, Lord, that you would help apply these words to our lives and to our hearts and to our minds. And and Father God, I ask for your help in explaining these. May the words I speak be not of me, but be of you, and bring you glory. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So as we start this morning, we are reminded of Paul's main objective in 9, 10, and 11. And it's dealing with his kinsmen, the Israelites, and their relationship to God through Christ and, and what that is. And specifically, he's been talking about their unbelief their refusal to believe in Jesus Christ and, and, and what's going to happen to them. I mean, he minces no words. They're lost at this point in time, and they're lost at this point in time. But as we get into chapter 11, we're going to see that that's not going to be forever, that there is something in store for them at a future date, in a future time. I have no idea what that is, but we will see that it is there nonetheless. But this unbelief is not limited to the Israelites. And even though this focuses on Israel, God works the same way with everyone and through everyone. It is broader in the sense that it spreads to all unbelievers. All unbelievers can find themselves in the same category and dealing with the same situation that Paul describes here of the Israelites. It, it encompasses unbelievers of both the Jew as well as the Gentile. And in the same manner, believers 
have the same avenue or the same way to salvation, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. And that avenue to salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only avenue that ever has been and only avenue that ever will be. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ. The Jews went about it a different way. And it didn't work. They went about it trying to establish their own righteousness according to their own ways. And that didn't work. Last week we looked at the Roman road, right? We looked at chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 and what a beautiful two verses those are that basically Paul tells us if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. It is a very popular verse that's used by evangelists and has been used by evangelists basically since, uh, since Paul penned them a couple thousand years ago. But it is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and admit that truth that is naturally flowing out of your heart. And as I told you last week, it's, it's not a matter of saying that Jesus is Lord and I can check this box and I'm good to go. That doesn't get it. By saying something does not get it. And Paul used the word confess because that is exactly the word that he intended to use. When we confess something, we are telling the truth that emanates and flows from our hearts. And that is the truth that is within us. When we say something just to be saying it and it's not something that we believe, it's a lie. It's not a confession. And I'm quite certain there has been thousands upon thousands upon thousands and maybe millions of people that have said Jesus is Lord and it's been a lie to them because the belief just has not been there. It didn't flow from their heart and that was the difference that I wanted you all to take with you last week. Saying that word is meaningless. Confessing that word changes your eternity and that's what Paul wanted everybody to know and understand we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead it is only then that we shall be saved that is the Roman road to salvation so we we take 9 and 10 and we use them sort of a a breaking off point or a point of demarcation into this morning's scriptures for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved So here we are, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What exactly does this mean? What is he talking about? As we get in our minds and we think about 9 and 10 that we just went over a couple times, and now we naturally flow into verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul's describing two different things here. We just saw believing, and he's got a calling, and he's using two separate things here. And he's putting them together, and it's all part of our salvation or being saved, as he says here. We believe, and we are saved. So are we saved by what we say, or are we saved by what we believe? And folks, this isn't a trick question. It should be a no-brainer for you. We're saved because of what we believe. That's right. 
But here he says something else, right? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you believe first, and then you call. And then it demonstrates that you are saved. So the calling does not come before the belief. If the calling comes before the belief, it's worthless. And we're going to talk about folks that do that. They do that routinely. They call, don't believe. It is absolutely useless. So calling upon the name of the Lord is an outgrowth of the belief that is within our hearts. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You remember blind Bartimaeus when Jesus approached him and delivered him from his infirmity. He asked him what he wanted him to do. And Bartimaeus said, I want you to heal me from my blindness. And Jesus said, arise and go forward. Your faith has healed you. So Bartimaeus called upon the Lord. But that calling would have been worthless without that belief that occurred before he called. He called because he believed who Jesus was, and he believed that Jesus had the power to heal his sight, and it was because of that belief, ultimately, that he was healed. So even though there is a calling, it is the belief or the faith that is the power behind that call or that desire to reach out and ask God for help. The belief comes before any type of calling. Now many people will call out and call on the name of the Lord for any number of different reasons. They may call on the name of the Lord when they smash their finger with a hammer. They may call on the name of the Lord whenever they're at a point in their life and all else fails. They've tried everything that they can to fix the situation. Everything that is within their power, they've done. They've exhausted all remedies in and of themselves. They've gone to every type of different way. Soothsaying, fortune tellers, astrology. And so at the end of all this, just to make sure we cover our basis with Buddha and Hinduism and everything else... We're going to call on Jesus because maybe he's got something that will help us out in the end. Is that the call that Paul's referring to here? It's worthless. It is worthless. There is no faith behind that call. It's an unbelieving call. It's a call that's out of a desperate person's attempt to get what they want or make something right. It is the call whenever they've spent their entire lives doing it their own way and they're going to continue doing it their own way. They just want to use Jesus as a little bit of a reprieve in this bad predicament that they find themselves in. That's not a call or request that's based on faith. Faith is the foundation and basis of the call. And you cannot get them out of order. Because if you do, you're wasting your time. If you're calling on God as some sort of, well, maybe, maybe he exists, maybe he doesn't, I don't really know, but we'll give it a try, you're wasting your breath, you're wasting your time, because it's not 
the buttressed or been buttressed by faith. Faith is not the foundation of that call. Christians call upon the name of the Lord all the time. And we should. God has asked us to do that. We should call upon the name of the Lord all the time. That's what we're supposed to do. In times when we are struggling with things in our lives, when we're struggling with sin, when we're struggling in the sanctification process, when we find ourselves making the same stupid mistakes each and every day, and we cry out, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? That's calling out on the name of the Lord for His help. That is a call that has a foundation in faith. A desire to please Him. Not a selfish, get me out of this mess, God! It's a call that glorifies God. It's a call that recognizes Him as who? It's given to us here in verse 13. Lord. It's a very important word in this passage. Unbelievers will never do this. Because he's not Lord over their lives. They may call upon him to be that magic genie in the bottle that they want him to get out of this mess or fix whatever they've screwed up. But they can't call upon the name of the Lord because to call upon the name of the Lord means that he is Lord of your life. That you are subservient to him. That you do or at least try with all your heart what he has called you to do the word lord in this passage cannot be stressed enough because even though we've spent a great deal of time saying that unbelievers don't really call upon god because it has to be by faith it says call upon the name of the lord that he should be lord in our lives and that's a prerequisite to our calling and as i said they may call upon god as a last resort Or upon Jesus as a last resort. But he's not their Lord. They do not submit to him. Let's move to verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to to preach unless they are sent. So we see here that Paul kind of goes off on a little side, side issue about sharing the gospel message and about really the foundation for that call. The foundation for that call is the belief or faith in Jesus Christ and we see how we get there here. And he spells it out in a beautiful way. You cannot call upon him unless you believe. Unbelievers... They're out. They can't call upon him effectively. So you have to believe. You can't believe in someone or something that you've never heard of. How can you believe in Jesus Christ when you've never heard about him or of him? And you cannot hear without someone bringing the message. And so it's just a series of steps that Paul's laying out that have to be met. And preachers, or people delivering the message, have to be sent. So he's laying out 
the way or foundation to get to calling upon the Lord. There is a sequence of events that must take place before you can call upon the name of the Lord. Now, as I said, you can do it all you want, but unless it's the foundation is in faith in Jesus, you're not going to do it effectively. And it's not going to be or not going to result in salvation. Preachers have to be sent. Messages have to be shared. They have to hear those messages. Those messages have to be believed. And at that point in time, because of that faith or that belief, then they are able to call upon the name of the Lord. That is the way the gospel is shared. And that's how important it is to share that gospel message. And it's just not the sharing of a preacher. It's the sharing of all of us. And we've all been called to do that. And so he lays out how that is accomplished in this passage. And then finally at the last part of verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And you can think of beautiful feet a couple different ways here. He's not talking about nice manicured feet with no calluses that are pretty for the eyes. He's talking about a set of dried, cracked, maybe bleeding feet, nasty nails. They are just horrific to look at. Why? Because they have spent their entire lives walking through the sand of the Middle East sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Those are beautiful feet. Those are feet of those that whenever you go up to someone, the scent of the gospel just emanates from them. Those are the feet that Paul's talking about. Those that share the message of Jesus with everyone who will listen. And he quotes it from Isaiah 52, 7. It's a quote from the Old Testament. And he's talking about those feet that have walked a million miles for no other reason than to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone that will listen. Those are the beautiful feet that Isaiah was referring to. Those are the beautiful feet that Paul is referring to in this passage. Then he comes back to the Jews or to any unbeliever. For they have not all obeyed the gospel... For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So even though they have heard the gospel, they have not believed it. And he he speaks of obedience there in the beginning of verse 16. True faith results in obedience. It's that simple now we're not going to be perfectly obedient but true faith results in obedience and that's the litmus test if there is no true faith there is no obedience no matter how difficult it may be no matter how hard it may be to swallow true faith results in obedience true faith is obedient faith the jews didn't obey Even though they heard the truth, they did not obey what they heard. Isaiah anticipated and prophesied about this 
hundreds of years before it even came to pass. He knew that they would hear the truth and he knew that they would not obey. So, if we stop there, faith just doesn't appear on its own, right? It just doesn't happen. It doesn't come from intuition. It doesn't come from meditation. It doesn't come from speculation. It doesn't come by philosophizing. It comes from hearing the gospel message, from sharing Jesus Christ with non-believers. Thus, a message has been given. And then faith comes from the message as we see in verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing about Jesus Christ. So you see, we have obedience, and obedience is the evidence of that faith, and that calling results in that faith that we talked about, or is a result of that faith. But true faith comes about because of the message that is performed or spoken of by someone sharing it with someone else. And then we hear those words, and we hear the words of Christ, and that brings faith. It's beautiful how that works. It only comes from hearing about the message of Jesus. And if you want to couple obedience into hearing, it's the same sort of way. Anyone ever get disobedient in your walk? The easiest way to come back to obedience is to pick up his word. When you read his word, you hear his word. And you hear the words of Christ in your mind. And he will bring you back from being far off. It's not just my words or who else's words you hear. It's the word of God that's speaking through that's being proclaimed. Doesn't fall on deaf ears. We hear that and we come back. And he brings us back. So the further we get from God, it's sort of unique the way it happens too. The further you get from God, the less you want to hear that, right? Because it's convicting in our hearts. And the less you want to hear it, then we get a little further and we get a little further. And it becomes very hard to get back. Because that's the way it happens. That's why we always should keep this near to us so that we don't get way over there. Because when you get way over there, you've got a long way for that word to travel to bring you back. And it can be a long and difficult road to get back there. But that's how this works. Faith is built, it started from God's word about Christ. That's how how it begins, but it's also how it's strengthened. is hearing the words about Christ. That strengthens our faith as we move forward in our walk. Paul asks, but have they not heard? Yes, they have heard. Their voice has gone out to all of the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. This is a quote from Psalms 19. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and the words to the end of the earth. Again, he's speaking to the Jews, but it also works to any unbeliever. You know what David's talking about in this Psalm 19? Remember Psalm 19. He's talking about the stars and God's creation in the heavenly realm and heavenly bodies. And he says, the whole creation, the whole earth declares the glory 
of God. And that's the quote that Paul takes and brings into Romans 10, 18. The whole creation declares the glory of God. So it's sort of a Romans 1 type thing. That we're all without excuse. That it should be within us to seek out God. To seek out His glory and what He's created and to find Jesus in that way. Verse 19, But I asked, did Israel not understand? I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So here again, Paul goes back and demonstrates that the Jews should have understood what was going on. That God is making them jealous by calling out another nation who is not their own, strangers, if you will, Gentiles, to bring in as his people. But yet, they still did not understand And then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, the Gentiles. And I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me, the Gentiles. So hundreds of years before this is happening, you have the prophecy from Isaiah that is being picked up and taken by Paul. And he's using these Old Testament passages because the Jews know them. They know them frontwards and backwards. And so he's using them to teach them that you should have seen this. You should have known what was coming and what God was doing in the future. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is true of the Jews and it's true of the Gentiles. It's true of every unbeliever. God stands there all day long and he holds out his hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Waiting and asking for them to call upon his name. Not as some Santa Claus, not as some genie in a bottle, but as Lord to make ourselves subservient to him as our Lord. People refuse to believe because they don't want to believe. That's the reality of it. To call Jesus our Lord requires us to be submissive to someone or something other than ourselves. And we have a big problem with that. You've heard me say it many times. People refuse to believe because they don't want to believe. They, they believe or they're afraid that believing will turn their lives upside down. That's the ultimate fear, right? They're afraid that if they believe in Jesus, then all this other stuff that they've grown accustomed to and enjoy and so like, they're going to have to give that up. Don't want to. Then he's not your Lord, if that be the case. Galileo, scientist, come up with a theory that all planets revolve around the sun. The scientists of that day charged him with scientific heresy. They brought him up to try him, to stand trial before all the other scientists. He said, yes, 
All the planets revolve around the sun, and if you will look into this telescope and you watch the moons around Saturn and how they react, I'll prove it to you. They refused. They refused to look to the proof that he had because they didn't want the truth. They become so accustomed to their own lives and what they enjoyed and their status as scientists, they didn't want somebody coming in and turning the tables over and changing who they were. They refused. Proof was right there. But they didn't want that proof. The Jews were the same way, right? Paul takes them back and he shows them proof of what Isaiah was talking about and that Jesus was Lord and that how salvation comes through him. But they didn't want that. So what do they do? They go back and they interpret those words the way they want to interpret them to make it okay in their unbelief. Don't think that's just for the Jews. Believe me, Gentiles do the same thing. We don't want our world turned upside down. We don't understand when we're at that that frame of our minds that Jesus fills in all those things we think we're going to miss. That you're made whole when that crap is gone from your life. But instead of making the jump and trusting in him and believing in him, we want to reinterpret things that, yeah, well, the same way the Jews did. It's no different. It's no different. Yet all day long, all day long, day after day after day, year after year, after year, lifetime worth. He stands there and he holds out his hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Cry out to him. Reach out to him. Call upon his name. That's what we were created to do. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we truly are a disobedient and contrary people. Father, salvation is so simple and so easy, and we make it so difficult. Father, help us to let go of the foolishness that we think is a big part of our lives, and help us to by faith, cry out to you, to call upon your name, to draw closer unto you, to seek you. Open our eyes, Lord. Let us see you for all that you are, all the beauty that you have in store, all the joy that you bring to lives whenever we call upon your name. Father, we pray that you are glorified this morning, tomorrow, and forevermore. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All rise.